Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right. We are talking A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from 1428 Elm Street. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film the characters that's right we're gonna break down every single one of these misbegotten teens in the hopes that one of their nightmares will be the beginning of the so many jokes that we can make about them and as always there's only one person that i trust in this world that if i have to you know search for a dusty diary she'll find it right next to my probe uh, board game the one and the only gina radcliffe how you doing gina I'm good. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to to reveal how how there was a time in my life when I was extremely naive to 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 the point <laughs> of a little dumb and a little unobservant mm-hmm. and, and just you know just letting things just go just gently sailing over my head like a like a like a warm summer breeze. Well, it, this film is so subtle though. Can we really be that hard on ourselves that we did not catch the very light subtext the feather thin root that this may have some sort of queer allegory to it yeah no it's just, you know, it's it's very it's it's very you know you know, artsy and, and and low key it's just not you know you really have to know what you're looking for and understand and yet somehow i i literally watched this movie and like, yeah yeah no this is i i understand completely what's happening here <laughs> Uh, it sailed over my head or, well, not necessarily. I just, I thought it was about sexuality. I just did not think that it was uh, uh, about, about homosexuality, probably because I was a naive dipshit in Glendale, California. You're also a Mormon. So I, I'm gonna, yeah. I mean, I mean, at least I, I, you, I had met a gay person by the time I had seen this movie. <laughs> I, I'm not sure when when that happened for you. Uh, once again, like in high school in the 80s, this was it just did not come up necessarily. Then again, my sexuality also did not come up because <laughs> no one was interested in it rising to any level of any surface. <laughs> but we'll get into that before we do. I don't want to alarm you, Gina. But we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. He is the writer creator of Gaily Dreadful and a self-proclaimed Freddy enthusiast. The one, the only Terry Menard. How are you doing, Terry? Daddy can't help you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. How are you guys? <laughs> is it true that daddy can't help me now? It, it because- is very true. I will say as I lovingly caress your face. <laughs> Right on the lips, too. Oh, of course. Is oh. there any other way? <laughs> Not really. Not when you've got uh, finger uh, knives on you. That's uh, that's everyone's favorite uh, sexual danger. Uh, so now uh, I read your stuff online, and I love what you do. And I, you immediately came to mind when we when we came down the road to Freddy's Revenge. I don't know so, why. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Gina and I are very much uh, taking up all the uh, cis-hetero lanes here. (laughs) 
And so if we are to do this film any justice, we really do need someone who has a perspective that is just beyond our own. And so please, uh, please pipe in. That's, that's why you're here. And I, and I want this element of this film to be examined and celebrated and possibly ridiculed as a sprinkling on top. But before we get to that, uh, Terry, what was your first exposure to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? You know, so uh, I watched movies, uh, horror movies, when I was really young. My parents were pretty liberal when it came mm-hmm. to uh, the movies I would watch. Um, so I think I watched the first one, well, part of the first one, when I was about eight or nine. Oh, wow. um, I got to the Tina's death, and it broke my mind. Um, <laughs> so I, I immediately stopped. And mm-hmm. uh, as I have done in the past uh, with Alien, I saw, I was like, well, I'll watch the sequel. It won't be as scary. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I watched uh, this one and I, I it didn't bother me one bit. And okay. Freddie was a little bit more funny in it. So I, I it like cleared my, my my mental thoughts of the movie. And I was able to go back and watch the first one and fell in love with, with the whole series as a whole. Now, was Nightmare on Elm Street like one of your first big passions when it came to horror or was did another supplant it uh, before you came upon this particular franchise um well before that uh most of my um horror movies were like the 1930s the universal monsters sure and like in in a way freddie is kind of the you know the new monster craze him and like jason and all of them but uh so when i when i discovered him and i and i ended up falling in in deeply in love with it it just that became my favorite franchise and it's continued throughout today it's just it's my favorite well i can't wait to get into it let's just re-enter the world of uh nightmare in elm street uh welcome back to the brown heavily weeded yards of southern california (laughs) uh we start in west hollywood uh, this is uh, where this first sequence takes place, and you can tell that because uh, no one is watering their lawn very much, <laughs> and it's a Southern California staple. Uh, but later, we'll go to the valley where apparently everyone has been watering their lawn nonstop. Uh, so if you're concerned about that, don't worry. My first impression of this, and I hadn't seen it in a while was that the Nightmare on Elm Street logo is very reminiscent of the original. But then when it gets to Freddy's Revenge, it suddenly looks like the Terminator. Oh my gosh, the blue steel. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what is going on here? It's like it's a cop show all of a sudden, like Freddy's Revenge, (laughs) this week on Hunter. (laughs) The uh, the score that immediately picks up was was so weird to me because it sounded like a mix of, of Jaws with like Alien. Yes, it absolutely is Orca at Sunset. Yes. <laughs> it's a very jaunty wailing tune that seems to have uh, seeped into the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, theme. Driving the bus, of course, is Robert England outside of his makeup uh, because New Line felt that you know, no one would ever recognize him. I mean, he'd only been on television for three years at this point, but okay. But he signs off as, as other people uh, exit the bus. And this is where we're introduced to Mark Patton as Jesse. And he's the, at least when we first meet him, he's the kind of teen who's never combed his hair in a mirror and is also wearing a pocket protector. Yeah, I was curious why he he they they presented him like a, the typical 80s nerd when he doesn't 
He looked like that to the rest of the movie. Yeah, I was gonna say he, he looked well, a little he looked a little serial killerish. Like he's meek and and this it's a weird way to although I guess if it's kind of like an anxiety dream. I mean that's I guess it's I guess you would dream about yourself and looking looking you know, different than you actually would in real life you know, some people i'm not at all joking when i say i have a recurring dream which i go places that i don't have any shoes on so i could I, uh, I swear to god i i i have this dream at least once a week where i just walk in somewhere i have no shoes on no one seems to notice this but me no and, why would they and, and your feet are so dirty at that point that they yeah, practically look like shoes they're just encrusted and and but i just <laughs> it is interesting that maybe this is how he perceives himself because yeah i i was talking I, I, before while you were uh away from the microphone and i was like mm-hmm. i hadn't i hadn't seen this movie in it's probably been about 20 years that I sure. had, and I remember him being, you know, kind of nerdy and, and in, in, but he actually is, I mean, I wouldn't say he's like Mr. Popularity, but he's kind of almost edging towards cool. You know? he's, <laughs> he, he has cool shirts. He, he is he's the kind of hair that I dreamt of having in high school. Like you know, if I had shown up at, at, at Crescenta Valley high with that fucking hairdo, my life would have been infinitely more successful in the sophomore to senior ranks. Yeah, I mean, he, for being the new guy living in a house after his parents completely failed to do their, to do their dil- due diligence when buying real estate. Uh, mm. I mean, he's he's he's, <laughs> he's not not a lick of research, nothing. They, no. they just did not even look at the history of the town. Not a single mm-hmm. microfiche machine, nothing. But I mean, he's doing all right for himself. He's got this, you know, pretty red haired girl, you know, kind of, you know, hanging around with them. He's class cool guy starts just befriending him. You know, he's, he's doing all right for himself way more than I remembered him as, uh, yes. as being. Yeah, I, I guess I, I have to assume that this is how he fears he might come across in a new situation. And Freddie just inserts himself in, into it. Uh, we also meet several other people on the bus, including uh, a rather husky kid behind him who's holding on to a boombox. I love that kid. But we yes. never hear the song. He's just, he gets he gets papers thrown in. He's like, what, what? I just want to listen to my tunes. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what his story was. Yeah, I, I so, want to know I was, all I was the backstories. So, I was so sad. We don't, I don't think we see him again. That just makes me so unhappy. I want to see him at the pool party later on. I want to know what he's into. I want to know what he's listening to that not very loud, but apparently it's pissing everyone off. And then there's uh, the two girl bullies that I, I think think that the bus driver is their chauffeur because they keep saying, driver, driver, stop, driver. I- <laughs> it's yeah, it's not. I don't quite understand why it's repeated so often. <laughs> or they just they weren't given lines and they're like, well, just yell at him. And they're like, OK, driver, driver, driver. They also have that thing of 80s teen girls where neither of them use their lips to enunciate. <laughs> it's all open their mouth. Driver, driver. <laughs> uh, we uh, teleport here from West Hollywood to Palmdale, I assume in advance of us going into the desert. Uh, but we also get to see um, a lot of the kids getting off the bus are walking over people's fucking bushes. You can just go to the side of the bushes. You don't have to walk on people's greenery. That's all I'm saying. But that's not a cinematic. 
<laughs> I don't know if I could describe any of this as cinematic. No, it goes on for quite a while. In, in comparison to this director's previous opening for Alone in the Dark, where a man is hoisted up with his legs in the air and a machete put through his crotch. I forgot that he did that movie. Yeah. I mean, if it hadn't ended up on Shudder, I hadn't been able to revisit it recently. And it sort of showed up there for like a month and then disappeared like a whoosh into the ether. It's not like I've never done a nightmare sequence before, but I felt like that one was probably the nightmare sequence that belonged in this movie. And instead we get this runaway bus, which I'm not really, I didn't take a bus to school, but I'm not really sure how much of this translates into a real nightmare. I took a bus. This was never my nightmare, but I also (laughs) feel that maybe it was trying to make a, a statement that we are leaving Ohio. We're going to the deserts. We are just going off the rails. This movie has no rails, just like Back to the Future, where they don't need any roads. This movie does not need any rails. Um, <laughs> and speaking of and, no, speaking of no roads, they just kind of go up a suburban street onto like a, you know, a, a Sedona landscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're off on some sort of artistic retreat almost immediately. <laughs> um, I I can tell you that the makers of this film treat Joshua Tree with more respect than our current federal administration. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Also, I'm a little thrown by the body glove uh, sticker. (laughs) That's my favorite favorite detail. (laughs) Um, That's how you know you're watching an extremely 87 movie because that's like everybody owned something that had that image on it. It's maybe the first, but it won't be the last of what is a very heavily prop and set decorated movie that I, I guess they assumed people wouldn't be paying attention or that you would be seeing it over and over again. But there is so much in joke around every other, like uh, this is the perfect movie for us <laughs> because <laughs> there's a lot of weird details in this film. Again, the bus eventually lands in a section of the desert that had previously only been filmed for Superman, the movie, uh, and it immediately, you know, crumbles all around them. And then we're, we're left with uh, a heavy metal album, but it doesn't <laughs> have a gargoyle. Yeah, if you do a, a a screenshot of that and just put like Dio on the front of it, no, <laughs> no one would be the wiser. It's like, oh yeah, I have that album. Did any of you ever see a person in real life with a pocket protector? No, this is not a thing that I've ever seen in person. This is only a a costume decoration. I've never seen it on a human being. Yeah, I'm not no. sure where the 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 '80s nerd aesthetic came from because that that was never reflected in, in any reality that I encountered. I mean, you definitely you know, saw the occasional you know Darth Vader lives T-shirt, but but <laughs> I've never seen anybody like a teenager dressed like a 75 year old man with like the, the chinos pulled up to his nipples and the you know the the, the sensible loafers. I've I've never seen that. Added to this is that the bus is now upon this sort of dual precipice of crumbling rocks. 
And as everything starts to, you know, desiccate underneath them, we get a lot of Star Trek acting out of everyone on this bus (laughs) where they're teetering left and right, but they haven't decided which way to go. There's a lot of unplanned movement happening. And Jesse seems to always end up behind these two girls. Yes. (laughs) They're constantly piling themselves on top of him, (laughs) which he does not care for. No, to be honest, though, I would be wanting them in front, too. I mean, they they were spending the ride, you know, bullying him. So push sure. them, sacrifice them. But yeah, it's 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 a weird uh, the first time that you, you kind of see him fulfilling like a more traditionally or stereotypically feminine role where he's hiding behind them as opposed to in the like more stereotypical masculine roles where you know, the, the boyfriend leaps in front of the girl or whatever. You have him literally pushing the women in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> do, do what you want to the girls, but leave me alone. Leave me. <laughs> they mean nothing. I have a future. Oh my God, the model work here. The miniatures are very scary. Yes. Uh, so much danger being conveyed. But before we can finally get someone be stabbed through the body with vicious glove knives, we immediately cut to tomatoes, the scariest of the fruit vegetables. Oh, they so are. Now I have to I have to ask you guys, what mm-hmm. is the, the better the better cutaway? This or in Bram Stoker's Dracula, when they cut off Lucy's cut off Lucy's head and it cuts immediately to a roast beef on a platter. <laughs> <laughs> I would oh, um I would say Dracula wins this round <laughs> because uh, I don't I still don't know why she's preparing tomatoes because she never serves any of them. Um and That's also, true. It's it's breakfast. What do you what do you make with tomatoes breakfast. for breakfast? I don't listen, I don't know what clue Gulliger where uh, eats in the bread. I don't know what, what he wears. Weird, what a weird character this this oh, dad so is. And just just I mean, it's really like like I, I need to know what his you know if, if the if the screenwriter spent any time like doing any sort of like you know character sheets or, or anything like that because he's just such a weird character. He spent so much time either bullying Jesse or being oddly overprotective like a little bit later on when jesse wakes up out of a nightmare clue they're acting acting like he's on his deathbed he he kneels like he's like he's lincoln like he's just been (laughs) shot well but the first the first scene like he's like you screaming like he like someone's murdering him and the mom and dad just look vaguely annoyed like oh there he is again the yeah. mom looks downright scathing. Like she is disdainful of her little queer son. There he is screaming again, you know? And I honestly, if, if the kid is waking up every morning screaming, I think child protective services need to be called. <laughs> it is distinctly odd. No, she puts the entire plate of tomatoes just down on the kitchen table. Like, <laughs> here you go. We have to talk about a couple things. Oh, yes, we do. This scene here. So let's let's start with the easy one, and that is Fu Man Chew cereal, <laughs> yeah. because there are two things that kids love in a morning breakfast cereal: one, casual racism; two, chewiness. The hallmark <laughs> of all breakfast cereals: a good mouth feel. Yes, I I I too loved growing up with um casual racism and chewy cereal it just you didn't 
Oh yeah. I love all my cereals to sort of have the same texture as starburst, which mm. is the, what comes across with foo man chew cereal. Yeah. Also I, he's I, kind of like a, a green ape from the planet of the apes. I don't, I don't really know. He's not, he's not a human being. Let's no. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, this and is- I don't I don't mean that in framework that it's purporting to be an Asian man. I mean they have literally put what looks like the Grinch in a <laughs> pink Chinaman outfit. <laughs> Again, my apologies. <laughs> I'm just reporting the racism. I don't believe in it. I can't disagree with that assessment, though, really. <laughs> it's very, I just, like, the, someone said, you can't do that. You can't put Fu Manchu on a cereal box. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if it were Dr. Seuss's The Grinch? <laughs> okay, now you can. I You're mean, on something it, there. It, in regards, you know, you honestly and soberly speaking about the casual racism, I mean, I, I, watch a lot of old commercials from my childhood and they're kind of a comfort food to me but i mean there are definitely commercials well into the 80s where like barney and his in his ever going quest to steal cereal from from, yes. from fred would mm-hmm. wear a series of questionable costumes <laughs> he, oh absolutely I, I think he he did wear the 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 Chinaman costume. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah there was, yeah, there was a. I think there was a sumo wrestler costume at, at some point. I mean, that there was, there was a, a a you know Native American costume, and I mean, you know, mind you, you know, Barney Rubble would have no knowledge of, of a a Chinaman costume or anything like that. <laughs> no, Barney Rubble on the cusp of the hip hop revolution that occurred. <laughs> In the late 80s to early 90s. So when he did, you know, decide to say, I'm Barney Rubble and I'm here to say, <laughs> I look like Fruity Pebbles in a major way. The best and the worst thing in the world is that might be the most recognized phrase in all of hip hop history. And that is both the best and the absolute worst thing of all time. All right. just, that's just America in a nutshell. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a terrible nutshell. But speaking of nuts, let's get into <laughs> the second half of the background of the scene, which contains on the wall a cock a and ball. Pe- a cock and balls, man. <laughs> what is going balls. on? It's like a gelatin, I think. Like, are they making uh, a bachelorette cake with that thing? I, I don't understand. <laughs> It is such a cock and balls. And and just to put a fine point on it, they also just have a rooster right fucking next to it. Oh, as if they are a matching placement. Like you would get them all in one set. Oh, I have the I have a rooster. Well, do you have the cock and balls? Of course. <laughs> well, you kind you can't have one without the other. <laughs> I have breads to make, or there are so many penises hidden in the background of this oh movie God. it's like a hidden mickey at disneyland it's like everywhere you look it's cocks and balls now my question is who needs to call Rhonda? <laughs> i don't know but someone oh, I can, better I can pay, fucking call her i kept paying attention like at one point it says call Rhonda, and the other one says zach called it's like it's like enormous handwriting and it's like okay the production designer really wanted people to to see that they went through this extra step of this chalkboard console telephone, which my parents had one of those uh-huh. in in like bright yellow. 
um, but we never wrote call Rhonda on it. But yeah, they're, they're, the lettering is like, it's like something you would see in a kindergarten classroom. It's so large. Later, when we go to a classroom where actual information is being taught, the chalk writing in there is smaller than call Rhonda <laughs> is in this thing. Uh, but we're interrupted by Jesse's very, I, I'll be honest with you. Jesse's scream to me is better than Jamie Lee Curtis. I might get run out of the horror loving crowd. It's true. I think he has one of the best screams in all of horror history. It's incredible. And I'm glad he was cast in this role, especially for his scream. Like it's pretty fucking awesome. It really is. It's, it's, it's ear piercing and it's, it's just amazing. Uh, he wakes up in a, I, was he in the ice bath challenge? There's, he's very sweaty. Oh, he's so sweaty. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the, you can't really call it a running gag, but that their, their house is too hot. Like at one point it's 97 degrees. I think the, the, the father <laughs> says, which, you know, you're, you're not, you're, you're not sitting in a house. that's 97 degrees. You're just, no. you're just not. Um, no, and but, no one has like a window up or anything. Like if it's that fucking hot, open a window, everyone get a breeze through there. Well, it's, it's the, the house is hot and yet there's scenes where Jesse's just wandering around the house in like a sweatshirt. A and, sweatshirt. And, yeah. It's just, <laughs> he's wearing, he's wearing like medical scrubs in one scene, which is. Oh, which that is, is crazy. Where did yes. you get those fucking scrubs from? I'm glad you said that. Cause I was going to get there when we got to that point. I'm like, what is, what, why, why is he, but why is he also wearing scrubs that are, three times larger than his person. He obviously didn't get those scrubs like, this fits me like a glove. They're <laughs> gigantic on him. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the things in Jesse's room, if we're as long as we're talking well, about backgrounds. Can we first talk about his boner? <laughs> we love boners here. Yes, <laughs> and he flips up when he gets out of bed. <laughs> Was he sexually turned on by that dream? Yeah, because a dark and mysterious man mm. drove him to an undisclosed location. <laughs> That's always been my erotic dreams. <laughs> we don't get the close-up that we get in Friday the 13th Part 8 of a dude's boner. But it's pretty good. In addition to his wang, we have <laughs> a baseball lamp yeah. with balls, with balls. A, te a tennis racket, very center displayed in every single scene. And I was saddened to learn that the two photographs of a planet are not Uranus, but actually Jupiter. <laughs> um, I was very excited. <laughs> And I'm like, I got to do a reverse image search. No, it's Jupiter. Uh, so that was one failing. But I, I do honestly hope someone on the set was like, should it be Uranus? No. That's a scar too um, far. Now, come on. He has a, <laughs> no he one has will a, believe that. He has a he has a, a, a simple minds poster very indifferently tacked onto his wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a promotional poster, too. It's not like I went to a simple minds concert. It's like, hey. Don't forget, Simple Minds don't just have the one soundtrack album. <laughs> they also have two studio albums. Yeah, like, that, that, that looks very much, again, like the production designer just happened to be walking past a uh, Sam Goody. It's also throwing out some posters and said, hey, can I take one of those? I'm shooting a movie here. Not since uh, Friday the 13th, part five, have we had such indifferent musical uh, posters placed upon a wall. And then, of course, we cut to a very close look at Eggs. 
So thank you very much for that. Well, you know, it's you go from the boner to eggs. So I mean, yeah. it kind of. Uh... <laughs> the thing is, uh, Jesse's boner is not getting very near any eggs anytime no. soon. Uh, not that he won't be given an opportunity, but we'll get to that. Uh, Clue Gulliger, um, and for those who want to know more about the man in his milieu, I would point you to get a clue. The podcast all about films that Clue Gulliger was in. <laughs> <laughs> which is a real thing that I was exists. Say, are you making that up? No, <laughs> I'm not. Really? No, I am not. That is a thing that is out there. There is literally so a podcast you have a pas- for everything. There's a podcast for everything. So I'm pointing you in that direction. He is wearing a pale pink top with very pale blue paints. Where you don't like you golf in something like that. You don't go to an office. Where the fuck does this man work? That that is an okay thing to wear to an office. Everyone in this family has crazy things on. Mom is wearing a green top with blue jeans, which are practically <laughs> the same fucking shade. And then little sis as purple on purple, purple on purple. The, the whole family, they're just, they're really, just really messed up. <laughs> well like the, the, that, par- the parents trauma. are in the, their parents are in their 50s and yeah. like and like jesse's what 17 and the sisters may be 10 they right. had v- children very very late in life <laughs> jesse's not in that that kitchen for very long uh he's threatened by his little sister who pulls out the fu man chew fingernails which is i guess why they have that box But also, it's not much of a payoff, but okay, I guess you filled 20 seconds of this movie. Congratulations. Uh, Before the doorbell rings and everyone's like, huh, what? And he's like, don't worry, it's Lisa. And Clue Kuliker is like, what? Who's Lisa? Who's Lisa? And it's like, why would you fucking care? I, I don't. Like, is, is has Jesse been in trouble in the past? Does he have a gang affiliation we need to worry about? Who cares who Lisa is? Like, what is the worst thing that can happen if Lisa has arrived? Yeah, the 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 father son relationship in this movie, you know, it's it seems very much. You know, yeah, we're not going to bother giving any dimension to it. We just you know, we just assume that all you know, seventeen year old boys just are going to have a a you know, a contentious relationship with their father. Even even though uh, at, at no at no point at all is Jesse seen as, you know, being anything other than an, an ideal son. He really doesn't display any sort of attitude, or he, he's like he's kind of like a teenage dream. Like he's a perfectly fine kid. He's moved to a new town, so transitions are the norm. But yeah, yeah and and, and, mean, and then meanwhile, the the later in you know in in this segment, we will have the father accusing him of giving a of forcing the family bird to explode by force feeding it a cherry bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I made a comment about that as well. I, uh, I mean, now to be to be fair, he yeah. is kind of a bad a bad son. I mean, he doesn't unpack, and he, that seems and to be promised the biggest issue. He, he, and he is not unpacked. He he, do, he doesn't unpack the things in his room that that no one will enter but him. So so <laughs> why is it so deeply important? Unless unless the father's probably going to do something like try to sell the boxes back or some cheap ass thing like that. But yeah, he's he's just obsessed with him unpacking this room. We're introduced to Lisa in the best possible way: the back of her head. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. I, I, we, we he goes to Jesse walks to the living room, which has no less than four clocks on the walls. Oh my God, there's so many uh, plants 
in this room. There's plants and there's <laughs> clocks and and they, somebody. I mean, not since Friday the Thirteenth Part Two have there been this many indoor plants in one space. <laughs> yeah, and one of the clocks is very phallic again with yes. the phallic images. Lisa uh, spins around and, and is revealed to us. And I must admit something here: I had the biggest crush on Kim Myers that any little boy could have. Oh, she's I very mean, cute. Wait, little boy. You were like 17 when this movie came out. I was not 17 when this movie <laughs> came out. That is incorrect. I believe at best I was 14 when this film came out. <laughs> How dare you? The impotence. <laughs> um, but I listen, maybe my tastes weren't fully formed, but yeah, I, but if, she's very, if I no, come she's off very as, cute. If, if I come off as a little too forgiving to her character or Lisa in general, it is possibly because I'm still awestruck when she appears. <laughs> Fair enough. There's something about her mo- glorious moon pie of a face that just appeals to the 14-year-old boy deep down, deep, 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 deep down inside me. So after their trip to school, which they transport from West Hollywood back to the valley, uh, in Woodland Hills, California, uh, we, which is why it's so fucking hot, because the hottest place on earth is the Valley of Southern California. Uh, we are introduced to Springwood High, which is a real fucking place. This uh, this particular high school was shut down just before the the filming occurred here and remains shut down. Uh, to this day, uh, much like my junior high school, which went on to appear in Better Off Dead and Return to Horror High. But we get a great look at the parking lot with a lot of late model cars and two dudes just smoking. Nothing <laughs> says high school like burnouts in the parking lot smoking. That, that is true. The perfect uh, distillation of public education in L.A. County. <laughs> Next up to bat, the silky mullet of Ron Grady. He walks up to the plate like George Jefferson walks away from a door he just slammed on a white neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Guys named Ron aren't normally this cool looking. <laughs> he is the coolest. He oh, I is, had a crush. I, I don't blame you. I think I there my crushes. In this movie are as such Kim Myers, Ron Rustler. <laughs> he, he is dreamy. This motherfucker, I, I am angry at the world that he did not have a bigger career because he is so much cooler than that dirtbag reject from Welcome Back Cotter in the first movie who had the cocaine sweats. He is way cooler. He really is. Yeah, he was definitely confusing a lot of sexualities. I, 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 I am sure. If I'm gonna get into a fight and get my pants pulled down, I want it to be Rod. <laughs> where you're, where you're, where you're not even gonna bother pulling your pants back up before you start rolling Why? around Why? back from that dirt with him. <laughs> All I'm gonna do is pull his shirt over his head. I want that skin to skin contact. Otherwise, I don't really Heck know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how this is going whether or not we both like it i mean this is the only way to tell is is this flirting i don't know (laughs) what i love is when he goes to bat the second time he does this little butt wiggle and then he (laughs) picks jesse and then pings him with the ball it's like this is flirting 101 (laughs) i mean he's literally aiming balls at this dude's head (laughs) 
Subtlety. <laughs> Thy name is not Freddy's Revenge. Um, meanwhile, over in the heteronormative part of the field, uh, people are y- using bows and arrows because why wouldn't you? Um, yeah, you're definitely and- you're, you're definitely going to have an archery class within 50 feet of people playing baseball. <laughs> I, I when I was in high school, I took a a, a course in in archery, and and as you imagine, it went spectacularly. But I went to a somewhat rural high school, and the the long march we would take to get out to a place where it was safe enough to shoot bows and arrows once we got out there it was like you got one chance to take your shot that you were marching all the way back to the school there was something sort of sort of penitential about it just taking <laughs> this long early morning walk to shoot one arrow and then walking back and here they're like within like you know, yards of other people <laughs> with bows and arrows Let's meet a new character while we're at it. Her name's Carrie, and she's super fashionable, like anyone who wears green and yellow in the same outfit would. Uh, she's also wearing a single black lace glove. Yeah. It's 1985, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, very much the whole Madonna thing. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah. there, there is some effort to, to you know, make these characters seem like real teenagers it is very real to life like jesse is wearing shirts that i 100 percent owned at the time this is this very on brand for southern california did you own a jock strap you know what i didn't and you want to know why (laughs) i was a sickly child i I didn't know that i like i'm there i'm not athletic and i've never been athletic so is this something outside of like gay clubs people wear <laughs> I remember at one point in junior high school, it was recommended that we wear them, but I don't remember a a single uh, individual that I ever saw wear one outside of baseball players in high school because that's where you would put your cup. Right. Uh, okay, that makes sense. You know, but as to just go out and play softball, no, I don't know. No, but then again, Jesse has some sort of baseball thing happening, <laughs> or it's, maybe it's just bats and balls. I can't really tell <laughs> what's happening there. Uh, but Carrie is introduced <laughs> with one line that is, so you getting any leaks? Like everyone wants these two to be boning. Like, oh, they do. Like if like they're on a bingo card and if they, if their penis and vagina match, they all get like a free day off of school or a scoop of ice cream at 31 flavors. I don't know how it works. Well, that's and a- then, well, I mean, then we have Grady asking a little bit later if he's mounting her. So everyone, yes. everyone, yeah, everyone. everybody is, everybody is extremely invested in this relationship between a girl and a guy who moved into town a couple of weeks ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But everyone is really invested in making sure that Lisa has sex. Mm-hmm. And and Mark's just like the latest per or Jesse's just like the latest person. <laughs> like uh, no one in town will do this. Uh, this new kid moved in. Jesse, you have sex with this girl, <laughs> please. <laughs> like we're all assuming it's happening. So why doesn't it just happen? There's one great thing about Carrie that should be noted, and that she is an eval- a good evaluator of teen asses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse's got a, a pair of, of muffins that don't quit. So good for him. <laughs> Coach Snyder smokes like it hurts. 
Oh man, he he is like I I think that that everything that that Chris Cooper and American Beauty at, took for his role, he took uh-huh. from from this character. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> he was just like you know he got the script uh-huh. and he's just like God, I, I don't I gotta wanna, do some research. Yeah, I, I don't really know how I want to approach this character. I mean, he's a you know you know repressed homosexual who who lashes out at his son and then he's just kind of idly flipping through the channels one night and it's like no no wait a minute i my god by god I, I found it <laughs> bingo hey you know what uh i enjoyed about his office is that we get a very detailed look at the handball championship tournament <laughs> uh which is good news because now we know why handball is not allowed in the hallway and Friday the 13th, part five, is because the tournament is taking place at Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, he, so, also, he also has a sign that says, it's no joke, pot hurts, which is, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, that, it's actually, it's visible later when, uh, like, <laughs> right before the whole scene where Freddy attacks him. But yeah, it's like, it looks very much like an old, like, 1950s PSA, and I, I wish I could see the detail on it, but it definitely says in large letters, it's no joke, pot hurts. oh it hurts so good here's the thing uh when grady is out there and they're i guess they're doing planks because they're not doing push-ups well i I think the idea is that they've been out there doing it so long that they're they're exhausted sure why not uh they're filthy they're filthy too it's like like he sent them to do it in a pigsty i mean jesse (laughs) looks like he came off the set of les miserables he is an urchin Grady says, uh, tells Jesse, some chick got locked in her room by her mom there, and she watched her boyfriend get bur- uh, get butchered by some maniac in your house. And I guess that's one way to recount what happened in the first movie. But we also learned that it happened five years ago. This yeah. is five years after the events of the first movie, which does not really comport. And no, absolutely not. And it was also filmed less than a year. <laughs> it came out less than a year uh, of the last one. Yeah, um, he, so yeah, Grady tells him about this girl. You know what he doesn't tell him? He doesn't tell him, oh, hey, by the way, do you did you know that on your street every child was murdered? Yeah, do you know that like <laughs> before some chick went crazy, 20 plus children were murdered by a dude? <laughs> And then all, the, and, then every, and then a bunch of parents got together and vigilante killed him. Hey, it's been five years. You, know, you got to stop thinking about the past at some point. There is no mention. He brings up the like when when they the later scene when uh, when they find the diary. He's, he's like, "Do you remember this? Oh no, that was before my time." It was five years ago. <laughs> she, I mean, I, I guess she meant, oh, that was before I moved here. But that's or before little... her time in terms of height, like in high school. That's would, the way I took it. You would it. still think that that would be, you know, something she would have. Okay, so she would have been in middle school then. I mean, yeah. five, you know, five years earlier, she would have been 12 and, and you know, and, and wouldn't have heard or known anything about this. This 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 town's like reporting system is terrible. Nobody yeah, seems to least, know these things. At least Crystal Lake would report events in the newspaper. People would not believe them or have that affected her behavior in any way, shape, or form. But here, there's almost no reporting on the subject of this 20-plus child murderer <laughs> who was burned alive by parents and apparently came back and murdered a bunch more people. How did Glenn get 
quote unquote butchered by some maniac. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was put into a giant juicer, I'm pretty sure. That's true. He they did hit frappe on poor Glenn. And so let's cut to the Walsh home. Uh Jesse's room has zero feng shui. His bed <laughs> has been positioned so that the headrest is backed into a corner. And the foot of the bed is in the middle of the room. Who does this? How would this help you? Every time I look at it, my brain explodes. Yeah, the thing that thing that yeah, I, I noticed immediately. Now, we obviously know from the discovery of the diary that this was Nancy's room. Yes. Why does it look like the room was cut in half? It's so much smaller. It's so tiny. And the closet's in a completely different place. And it just, it really, I don't know. Maybe they reconstructed it slightly because half of the house caught on fire when Freddie walked around. Well, that's that's a a good point. That's, yeah. (laughs) But this isn't the way to maximize your room. I'll tell you that right now is to have your bed occupying a good quarter of the entire space is very odd. Uh, This is when we discover that uh, Jesse. He apparently is cosplaying as a dental hygienist when he walks around the house. Um, With scrubs. So Jesse gets drawn down uh, to the basement by a noise. And as far as I could see, I did not spy that of a zarape with the with the painting of dogs playing pool on it. I don't know. And I was looking for it after your last episode. <laughs> I really wanted it to still be there because that would be awesome. Just a little, a, a nice little treat for the Thompsons to leave behind for the next people to move in. Yeah. You, well, you, kind of like when you move into an apartment, you find like an errant spoon in a, in a drawer or something like that. <laughs> that's right. Listen, Joyce, not a detail person. If she in fact is still alive, which is up in the air. Yeah, we don't know that. We don't know, do we? I mean, obviously no. Nancy is still alive. She shows up in the next movie, I believe. Yes. So, yeah. but, but. Yeah, I guess we don't, you know, yeah, they don't really clarify that. Uh, Jesse goes down into the murder basement and discovers <laughs> <laughs> that Freddie is, is reaching into the furnace to grab his glove. Freddie then, like, wabams him with the, a scary jump scare. And uh, they have a confrontation by the stairs in which Freddie utters the phrase, Daddy, Daddy can't, can't help, help you now. You now. And also, and also, you've got the body. <laughs> he he's kind of sounds like a little bit of a voiceover for like a gym. Uh, and I, what kills me is after he says that, like, I'm immediately like, oh, can it get any gayer? But yes, yes, it can. Because <laughs> then Freddie is stroking his lips and face and yeah, saying, I need you, Jesse. Yeah, it's way more eroticized than like his than his encounters with Tina and Nancy. It's it's very interesting and and again i i don't really buy that a lot of the people making this movie you know quote unquote didn't know what they were doing you know they they they, they didn't see the the it's not even subtext it's text it's it's hypertext i mean the only thing that it's missing is the song saying one two freddie wants inside you (laughs) (laughs) you know would you immediately would have made this the best nightmare in Elm Street if that were the case? I mean, I mean like, like, he just needs, all Freddy needs to be doing is, like, lasciviously tonguing one of his finger blades before touching him. Which, quite frankly, would not have been out of place. Here's the thing. Here's why I, I unabashedly love this movie. Is it's doing something different. It is not simply a rehash of the original film. 
Like they're they're legitimately trying to, within the rules of Freddy Krueger, trying to find a different use for him. And they landed upon Jesse is afraid of his latent homosexuality, which I think is a valuable usage of a horror film. I love this fucking movie. <laughs> I think it's cool. Anyone who doesn't think that I think is kind of trying to be like they think it's a joke. And I don't know that it is a joke. I don't know that the fear of sexuality is as potent for everyone, just as someone who was raised without religion can look at the exorcist and go, well, what would I fucking care? Like, it's gross and kind of cool, but I'm not scared of the devil. But I think people play it a little too cute because I think this is a genuinely disturbing film. It really is. Um, I mean, I, I do have some some issues with some of the characters in it and the characterizations, uh, particularly with the idea that the only, um, at least, I, I, I guess he's openly gay because he goes to the school, the the, the coach. Mm-hmm. is is kind of a lecherous uh fits kind of into the whole like uh Reagan era of you know the gays are going to try to get your sons and yes. and convert yeah, them. Yeah, so it's, it's a really that's a really badly handled character. So I mean, they're straight out of police academy yeah. what occurs later on, but we will get to that. None of these films are pure. We I love the original Nightmare on Elm Street. We picked it apart. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's kind of the point of this dumb show. Uh, Sorry, everyone who thought it was a serious, sober-minded examination of Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Um, But uh, here's the question I have with this particular Freddy gag. Now, in the past, he sliced open his chest to reveal maggots. He's cut off his fingers. He's done all sorts of things to himself. So this is very much in that vein. But when he rips back the skin of his scalp to reveal his brain, my question is, did his skull burn away? Where's this fucker's skull? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) It is just right under there, isn't it? It's just right under the surface. Like he's got a fontanelle, like he's two months (laughs) old and it never closed. Well, maybe it never did close. (laughs) You don't know. Maybe that's why he became became a serial killer. (laughs) <laughs> someone poked his brain too much because they thought he, you know, he had a skull. <laughs> it is out of this particular dream that Jesse, uh, we get another great scream and his mom and dad enter the room and they get that sort of <laughs> kneeling at his bed. Like he, like he's dying of tuberculosis on his, on his yes. fainting couch. <laughs> <laughs> where all of a sudden this has become a concern where it was not a concern before the way clue Gulliger is at his, um, knees makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I know his hands are almost on his thighs. I mean, yes. it's like, <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's weird. But that could also be the afterglow of Amityville too, where <laughs> I just feel unclean. My eyeballs feel like they have a, a sheen of meatball sweat on them <laughs> that I can't break loose. <laughs> Uh, The next day in science class, we get a really detailed journey of the upper and lower GI tract. While Jesse tries to catch up on some sleep, he's dressed, of course, like Magnum P.I. Cat in San Francisco. Uh, I I assume that is the callback trying to be made here. Lo and behold, while he's sleeping, apparently a fucking (laughs) snake has broken loose. And when he wakes up with the snake on him, the teacher's like, why are you playing with animals? Motherfucker, you have a loose snake in a classroom. 
I yes, and and on top of that, I think it's interesting that the snake is crawling up from his crotch. I think well. his anaconda does want some. <laughs> Noted. Buckle up, because we're now moving into the legendary room cleanup scene. Uh, Now, (laughs) I did not catch this until this time, but if this song that is playing in the background sounds vaguely familiar to you, there's a reason. First of all, you're old, like I am. Yeah. Two, (laughs) it is Touch Me All Night Long, which would be covered less than a half a decade later by the one and only Kathy Dennis in a very up-tempo version of it. And I was like, where have I heard this song before? Oh, yeah, I recognize it's a, it immediately. Touch Me All Night Long by Kathy Dennis. It, <laughs> I didn't know that was a cover. Yeah, I, I was a little weirded out because I was like, was this always the song he was he was dancing to? Because I, I I definitely remember it being, you know, a song that came out later and not realizing that it was a co- it was actually a cover. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I just never picked up on it before because it's it's definitely a down tempo version of it it's very much an 85 sort of dance track as opposed to the up tempo number that kathy would later do dressed in a velvet cat suit that has burned its way onto my brain and (laughs) i think about a little too often so that's a little something about me that everyone (laughs) knows now on jesse's door (laughs) No chicks. No out-of-town chicks. <laughs> what does that mean? Now, not only that, but the I in chicks has been taped over and an I put in its place. I think what it's, letter is it replacing? No, I believe it said no out-of-town checks. Oh! So, yeah. That fucking makes sense. Oh, <laughs> oh, my God. You blew my goddamn mind. Mine as well. Thank I you. did not realize that. Thank you. Because I, I, I kind of <laughs> stared intently at that. Like, what is that? What did that originally say? Oh, no out of town <laughs> checks. So I yeah. guess he stole this from a a, 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 store, a store in a tourist town, or yes. or maybe bought it at a Home Depot just for laughs and. <laughs> just thought he would write in an I over the C because that's brilliantly funny somehow. <laughs> He's only into in-town chicks, Gina. He just moved into town. <laughs> I know. When he's discovered by his mom, his new girl friend, he's, he proclaims, I was just cleaning my room. And I don't know that that's an explanation anyone's going to buy when they just saw you pump your pelvis while standing on a bed and having this sort of cork popper. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. I didn't, I, I, I was trying to Google that before the show to figure out what, what exactly it was, but he literally blows his metaphorical load right before Lisa comes over. <laughs> yes, he does. I, I hope that I, there's gotta, it's gotta exist because all you, know, anything you want to find a gif of, it, it exists out there. There's gotta be one of him just bumping his butt up against the dresser. Cause that's just oh, like, they're absolutely, that's oh, there just is. like the best scene. I just love that so much. Uh, first of all it's a very inefficient way to close your drawers <laughs> right i also wonder which drawers for his jock straps <laughs> that's true well he's not organizing very well he's just no. picking up boxes and pouring the contents of them That'll into get you various dead. drawers <laughs> i'll get you dad by by carelessly throwing a bunch of cassette tapes into an underwear drawer <laughs> that'll show Take you that yeah, now it was a pile in a box. Now it's a pile in a drawer. 
up yours, old man. I mean, okay. <laughs> Lisa pitches in. Uh, and His mom and, seems so happy. Oh my god! So the you can practically see the relief on her face, <laughs> which yes. is sad. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, and yet, you know what? They're they're early a little bit earlier. Um, he calls her. He calls Lisa, and Lisa's yeah. mom also seems equally delighted and surprised that a that a, <laughs> that a boy would be calling for his you know her. Very upper class, you know, lovely, lovely teenage daughter. I mean, this pool, this pool looks like something out of Dynasty. Well, welcome to Pasadena. This is the Madre, Sierra Madre uh, part of Pasadena. I used to bike uh, through there all the time. And it is old money Pasadena. Like, there's the saying, no one ever is really from L.A., but if you are, you're from Pasadena. They're talking about this part. Pasadena it is all gigantic fucking houses and huge pools it is something out of Ferris Bueller's day off Jesus (laughs) oh my god Uh, listen pot does hurt Uh, (laughs) apparently it hurts your recollection of very famous movies from when you were a very young person um so uh, here is the part of the movie that everyone points to during the sequence that doesn't involve Jesse's pelvis. And that is that Lisa uh, manages to find this diary not right next to a board game called Probe. Probe. <laughs> Which I had to go look up and it is a real game. Real it plays game. like Hangman. Yeah, like Mar- it was a Milton Bradley thing. And you were probing for answers to questions. <laughs> Oh, is he ever? <laughs> a little on the nose. Don't you think? There's not enough nose for how much this is on the nose. But talking about the journal really fast, I, do you think it came with the house? Like it was listed in the amenities, washer, dryer, the fridge, and the journal of a crazy teenager. Oh, because like, because like it's just sitting there. Like, wouldn't a realtor have like taken it out or thrown it away or something? I guess because it's in that small cubby that's invisible. It's invisible to the Mm. naked eye. Um, Also, but more alarming to me than probe or the diary is the revelation that Jesse owns a fedora and a cowboy hat (laughs) so that he might be the other village people, I guess, if he wants to cosplay as thus uh, later on down the line. And a trucker hat. Because he was wearing a trucker hat. He is wearing a trucker hat. He looks like he works at uh, a hot dog on a stick. (laughs) Which is also a very phallic thing. He also has a can of new Coke sitting on his bedside that is there, I swear to God, for the entire movie. It is. Yeah, he he just, (laughs) yeah. Which would suggest that his parents never enter his room. So, so you know, why does his father, you know, is, why is his father so concerned about him unpacking his boxes? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. I would say, please clean up those open cans of new Coke. I don't want ants to enter our house, but <laughs> that is never stated out loud. The wallpaper in Jesse's room appears to be a close-up of the Hulk's sperm. <laughs> I may have I may have killed Terry. <laughs> Just did. I was trying to take a drink of water. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I'm dead. 
Listen, of all the things that are hard to swallow, the Hulk's <laughs> semen is amongst them. And I, I would imagine. In addition, another thing we just discovered is in uh, young Jesse's room, and that is in a cabinet, in a display cabinet. It's just a bowling ball. Just a bowling ball. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason to this individual's lifestyle. I just don't get it. He's just got paperback Balls. books, open cans of Coke, and a bowling ball. Okay, so inside of the diary, we learn a couple things. One is it's been five years since the first movie. The second is that Glenn was slim and smooth. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he has a swimmer's build, I guess. Um, we we were told in the previous movie that Glenn was a jock, but we saw no evidence of it. No, so no. Now that we, but we also know that Nancy likes them slim and smooth. So <laughs> that's information we should all file into the back of our heads uh, so that we can bring that forward later. Cut to more night sweats. It's so hot in Jesse's room later on that it's melted that vaunted baseball lamp uh, that lied to us earlier about his baseball prowess. We all started to look like a Dali painting. (laughs) I I assume that's what they're going for because we also see a record that is for some reason, just sitting on his, uh, on a nightstand that is melting like a clock. And then uh, we learn that Jesse has been reading on the road. Yes, and I think that's an also an interesting uh, choice because the Beat Generation, uh, there was a lot of authors in there like Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs, and they all claimed to be bisexual, and Kerouac himself had rumors of bisexuality. So I thought it, that was interesting, followed by the candle next to it that was melting and looked like a wilting penis. <laughs> is that a, is that what that is? It's a candle? Because I'm pretty nothing. sure it was a candle. It was a candle. <laughs> because... Yeah. There was wax on the book, and it looked like the candle had shot some wax, <laughs> like it had busted its load, reading uh-huh. Jack Kerouac. Sure, yes. Which, who doesn't, really? I mean, what candle can resist the, the prose of uh, young Jack Kerouac in his journey into the American West? <laughs> what I learned from uh, Amazon X-Ray at this point in the movie is that other people who were up for the role of Jesse include the following John Stamos, Brad Pitt, and the worst of all, Christian Slater, Christian Slater. Really? I, this is not a Christian Slater role. And I congratulate the producers for not casting him in thus, because the last thing I would want is all of this movie to occur. And then to hear my voice coming out of someone on screen that I don't want to hear Christian Slater. I First of all, I don't believe his scream is as good. I'll tell you that right now. There's no fucking way that Christian Slater's scream is better than Mark's. Fuck that noise. What shade of pink are those sweatpants? That is, that is not a natural color that, that occurs. In, I know I have not seen those in, where does... Where do you get those? <laughs> Beats the hell out of me. <laughs> I, I was I was stunned. I, I, I'm frequently stunned by the clothing choices in this movie, but that one, yeah, I oof, I don't know. It, and it, again with the sweats, yeah. it's so hot in there. And it's he's wearing so sweatshirt. hot in there. He's sweating like a crazy person. To borrow a phrase, Jesse is dressed like an Australian's nightmare. It is <laughs> not a natural hue. Um, Later at school, and I would like to congratulate everyone, yes, high schools 
in Southern California have outdoor lockers. This is a real thing. This is how you know it does not take place in Ohio because you would never have outdoor lockers in the Midwest. Absolutely um, not. Uh, we learn a little bit more about this uh, diary uh, and uh, Lisa is going to examine it further. Uh, Carrie arrives on the scene and she is dressed like, like a, like she has a bow from the Flintstones collection. It's gigantic. (laughs) I also like that her, that the book that she's carrying from class to class is health, just health. (laughs) (laughs) It's not true. The entire, uh, title of it is health and safety for you uh but she has a uh, very giant triangular earrings as well that are huge and i'm surprised uh she can support because she's a tiny little thing and those are very big earrings why is uh the coach still punishing these two well because he he caught he caught them talking about him oh i see um, one other thing we learned about Grady in this in the sequence is that he has his own mirror inside his gym locker. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? If you had a face like that, would you not be looking for every opportunity to be looking at it? I mean, absolutely. But he also only remembers the wet dreams. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. He always has like a witty comeback. Do you remember your dreams? Only the wet ones. <laughs> Bazanga. <laughs> I got you. You're going to be thinking about that all day. <laughs> he is, though. <laughs> Let's cut back to the Walsh home uh, where everyone is wearing long pants. If it is this hot, it is time to change your outfit to something that you're not going to sweat that much in. Um, but everyone is sweated up within an inch of their lives. Yeah, the, um, the the it is already more than established that for whatever reason, because he's you know cheapskate comic strip dad, he he <laughs> refuses to get anything done about this extremely faulty and probably highly dangerous heating problem they have in their house. Yeah, you know un, under the uh, under the the, the guise of oh, I can fix it myself. He he's you know it, it isn't until a, a animal literally explodes into flame that he finally. <laughs> Then he finally goes about trying to to fix this heating problem. And what does he do? He checks the stove. <laughs> uh, the heat has a, the beat, the heat has apparently caused the one of the birds to turn homicidal. <laughs> it kills its mate, or at I least mean, to, be fair, <laughs> to be fair, if I, I feel really homicidal when I get hot. So oh yeah, absolutely. I, um it, this is yeah this bird kills uh its roommate and bites jesse uh cuts dad's cheek and then proceeds to terrorize the rest of the family can i just say i i felt their their reaction was a, a little bit over the top i mean this bird is just flying <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you talking about are, you can't possibly be serious this is a very calm reaction to a homicidal bird in your house. I, I've had a bat in my house, and and I wasn't just like like screaming and running. Well, okay, I was, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It just seems like like I, I it just seemed very you know, comical to me the way they were reacting to it. Oh, it was very comical. Well, the thing that they hear that you don't is a subtle tick, 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 tick. 
because what we don't know is there's a fucking bomb in that bird that <laughs> Jesse put in there. It explodes in flames. <laughs> the bird explodes like a car on the A-team after it turns over. <laughs> In midair and just leaves a plume of green feathers. So many feathers. It's so like a, many feathers. It's, it's like a Looney Tunes gag. The way this blows up. It's like all I need to do is hold up a little size of yipe right before it happened. Uh, oh my God. I love but, and then this is where like I, I really am, am certain that this family is insane. Because the mom seems incredibly giddy about what happened. Uh-huh. Like she is smiling. Like he's like, I'm looking for the animals don't just explode. And she's just like, oh gosh. And no one seems to care that this bird just fucking exploded. I, the crazy thing is, as you mentioned before, dad is very convinced that this is a gas-related problem. Right. It's no, no, natural gas, gas it's is gas going to re- cause a bird to explode. It's gas-related or tainted bird seed. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, and she's like, she again, you're absolutely right. She's smiling like, I can't even fucking believe this. I can't believe you're trying to pass this off as tainted bird seed. <laughs> this is why I love you. You're a crazy person. <laughs> and no one seems that perplexed that a bird died. I mean, outside of the fact that he says the animals don't just explode, but uh, no one seems to really care that their two birds just died. Yeah, even, even, the, even the, the that daughter, bird killed it, another bird. Yeah, even the right. little, little girl just seemed kind of like, oh, well, that happened. <laughs> like, this is the fifth one this month. Like oh, how gosh, many exploding bird. birds have they had in their lives? Yeah, I, I think the I think the father, the dad went to the same parenting classes as Bert Young and in, in, in Annieville too, where the the parenting technique is blame everything on your oldest child, even things he couldn't possibly have anything have had anything to do with, like yes. his his accusing Jesse of I guess like just holding you know holding the bird by the neck and jamming a cherry bomb. <laughs> Into its beak. Makes, How would he light it? How would makes, he light it? Makes even less sense than than Burt Young in, in Annieville 2 getting mad at the oldest son because a mirror falls off a wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do wish that Clue Gulliger would mysteriously end up with a cane halfway through this movie. And for all I know, it happens. And for all our audience knows, it happens. But unfortunately... This is where we have to stop because this is the first death in the movie of two. (laughs) Our first, this is the first time we've done an episode that did not involve human death. Yes. This is the only one I believe that we have ever had that does not contain a human death, but there's so few deaths that we have to use something to mark the passage of time. Uh, and but, yet, and yet know, the bird, and yet the birds dying are a greater loss than the than the first human character that does actually bite it, which is which is <laughs> coming very soon. Yes, yep. yeah, it it will not be long in, until we see that character go, but we save that for another time. Um, but before we say our goodbyes, uh, Terry, uh, where can uh, people uh, see, read, hear more about what you are doing? Sure. Um, I am very active on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful, and my website is GailyDreadful.com, and I do reviews of uh, horror movies and LGBTQ uh, movies and television shows. 
Excellent. Check it out. I highly recommend it. Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about old TV and movies and pop culture on my own website, GinaRadcliffe.com. I am also a writer and reviewer for The Spool, and I too am on Twitter under Porcelain72. Excellent. Do it today, people. Uh, Before we move on to our bonafides, uh, what is an update on the Patreon situation, Gina? Well, we do not have any new patrons to report, but uh, I wanted to say thank you to Dawn Gildenmeister, who raised her her monthly uh, patronage from, I guess that's what it's called. It's not really a donation. Yeah. Patronage. It's our tip jar. Yeah. She, she raised her tip from $2 to $5. So lucky her, air quotes, she'll have access to, <laughs> to our bonus episodes, which up to this point... Um, include mandy the apostle um the visitor and Candyman, and then soon uh we'll be doing our uh our page our patron choice so dawn i hope that extra three dollars is worth it to you uh and we thank and we thank you for the uh the increased support yes we from the bottom of our heart we thank all of our patreon supporters your support uh, means the world to us. It, it, it buys us equipment and things that we need. That's why we have glorious sound in this episode uh, because Gina has a brand new microphone. Thanks to you, good people. Uh, and believe me, uh, the the visitor episode is worth the money alone. I promise you that. Uh, before we go, though, of course, uh, we need to thank everyone who supports us in a non-monetary way. If you have rated and reviewed us on wherever you get podcasts, and, and in particular, Apple Podcasts, uh, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. That means uh, a lot to us because it helps us be seen and heard by more and more people. And we thank you for that. If you want to reach out to us, a couple of easy ways to do that uh, on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod. Uh, we have the Facebook group and the page uh, to reach out to us that way. And of course, on Instagram at Kill by Kill Podcast. Um, and if you have a, an email uh, that you want to send to us, by all means do so. Uh, Kill by Kill Pod at gmail.com. That just about does it for this episode. But don't worry, the body count will continue. Uh, so for myself and for Gina and for Terry, uh, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.